Oh, you got sparkling water? I kind of want one. You better hurry, dude. I'm sh- I don't need it right now. <laughs> okay. I was going to say. He's going to ear <laughs> Jim's about to fire me. Yeah, You, you can't, though, fired. Jim. No, I can't. <laughs> Count me down, y'all. Let's go. So I'm not a Pro Shop user. No, you're not. They're a great sponsor of ours, and we hear a lot about Pro Shop from you, Jim. And one thing that's kind of surprising to me in, in a really good way for them is as I travel, I spend about a third of my life on the road. Yeah. As I travel, this year I've had like three or four different companies yeah. that are all either using Pro Shop and have amazing things to say about really? it. Really? Or they're like one time I walked in and they were telling me, yeah, that's Pro Shop on the screen, but we're just like analyzing which ERP we were going to switch to. They're blowing to. up, Nick. I mean, seriously, I know, I mean, just from talking to Paul, he's a busy man and you're just hearing about it everywhere. I was like, look, I don't use ProShop, but everyone I know who does absolutely loves it. So, But in all seriousness, you're going into these shops across America yeah. and you see it on their yeah. screen and you're like, oh my God, yeah. This- I've seen that before. And I'm like, is that ProShop? They're like, yeah. yeah. And one of them was just a, right on the fence about to pull the trigger. You know, maybe Paul should run for president in 2024. He <laughs> would, would have my vote, man. So go to ProShopERP.com for more information. Yep. Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your dang business. I'm your host, Nick Golner, and I'm joined by two very laborious partners and co-hosts, Jim Carr and Jason Zayer. Laborious? Does that mean fat? (laughs) No. No. Baby full of labor. I'm just kidding. What do you think laborious means? It's You're laboring all the time. You're full of labor. It means requiring a considerable amount of effort and time. So you guys do that for me. And also showing obvious signs of effort and lacking in fluency. Well, what should, <laughs> that's funny. You said lacking fluency. La- yeah, like like it's yeah. laborious when you're not good at something. Oh, and you try- got it, got it, got it. So you know, I was kind of digging at you. Well, guys, it was just labor. I apologize. It was. Yeah. And my episode's going to be about the labor market today. So I got to be real though, guys. I have one question. What's that? Are you ready for some football? Well, you know, Jason and I aren't the big football fans. No, but so. I just heard that the Bears, for like the first time since the one of my favorite quarterbacks, uh, the what do they call him? The Funky QB? What was his name during the Super Bowl shuffle when the Bears won the Super Bowl? Um, oh, uh, I don't know, Jim. You're talking Jim about Jimmy? Yeah, Jim yeah so but I don't know why he's funky. Since Jim McMahon, the Bears he actually- was in 1985. <laughs> That's when I used to watch football. Me so too. For for the first time since 1985, the Bears actually have not one but two really good quarterbacks. Oh, they always say that every. We year. have one very average veteran, and beneath him on the roster, we have Justin Fields, the right. young rookie yes. from Ohio State. They're really thinking he's going to do well. Yeah, we're excited about him. Yeah. So I'm being honest. Like my mind is a little off today. I'm very pumped about football. The The opening night of the NFL season is tonight, September 9th. Who's playing who? At, and okay, where? so that was a perfect segue. So we do a positive kickoff, right? I yeah. usually ask one of you guys yeah. something positive. And there's always this debate like, oh, who are you going to ask? You know. So I'm going to ask whoever gets any of these questions right first. <laughs> You'll be all right. I'll try to Google it fast. No, you can't Google it. You can't Google it. Okay, before we go there, can I tell you the history of Labor Day? Fine, go ahead. Okay, so everyone is really interested in your trivia. 
and it, well, this is interesting because it actually has to do with Chicago. Um, okay. On May 11th, 1894, employees of the Pullman Palace Car Company in Chicago went on strike to protest wage cuts and the firing of union rep- representatives. So I guess that uh, had a lot to do with the history of why they started Labor Day. And I guess a lot of it had to do with, you know, during the surge of like manufacturing in the United States, people used to work 12 hours a day. The environment was very unsafe. Um, I mean, that contributed a lot to the unions, you know, really coming into play. You know, the relevancy is, you know, questionable. So they were increasing the risk and lowering the reward. Yeah. So Labor Day was created on June 28th, 1894 by Grover Cleveland. He signed it into law. June 28th? 1894. So, so it moved from June to Before September. you were born, Jim. Huh? A little bit before you yeah, were born. But Grover Cleveland. My three-year-old's a huge fan of Grover. Yeah. Yeah. Same Grover. Yeah. <laughs> I think it might be a different one. He was the blue monster. Yeah, Grover exactly. Cleveland, yeah. Grover Cleveland. Yeah. So, oh, well, thank you. For, actually, that is kind of nice because it segues well into my episode. But still, I have to do a positive kickoff. And one, don't, Jason, stop Googling. Who is playing tonight? Give me one no of the teams. Give me one of the teams. Uh, it is the Vikings versus the Cowboys. He got the Cowboys. He got the Cowboys. It is not the Vikings. It's no Ta- Tampa Bay. Okay. So I, win, I don't right? even know. No, I don't even know what network. Someone's got to get two first to two wins. Okay. Uh, so who's favored between the Buccaneers and the Cowboys? Who's oh, the Buccaneers. All Buccaneers. Okay. Yeah, for okay. Sure. Jason. You, yeah. Yeah. Jason got it. Yeah. Dub. Tom Brady. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right on. Right. All right. And my, so my wife is that was the third question. Is my wife is from Dallas and you know yeah. she's a huge that, Cowboys that fan. I knew. So, that I knew. You know. Well we're gonna talk about Texas in a second too, but you won. It's your positive kickoff today. Great. So tell me something positive well, about yourself. I just got done with a month long sabbatical. Wow. Nice. You know, I am very jealous. We had a record I'm not. We had a record sales month while I was gone. <laughs> you know? Maybe so that's Jason amazing. should resign. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. I'm I know. thinking about it. <laughs> that, that's kind of an odd metric well don't I you mean, think i don't know i mean you know this is something that should be tested and you know i talked to my team they're like go away then <laughs> you know, <so laughs> no but um i think obviously we still need you know leadership and i still have a place there but it makes me feel good that you know our clients rewarded us with sales that we were doing a good job for them while i wasn't even there so yeah um, it makes yeah. me very happy and we started a new integration agreement with with a client so we installed some vending machines you know got all that software up and going for this client when i was gone so awesome. i'm very happy about that yeah well done it's every leader's goal to build a company that doesn't necessarily have to rely on them yeah, to run everything it's, and that's a change in mentality because it used to be like okay i'm valued because they need me but no it should be i'm valued because i've trained them in order to do this without me right on Awesome. Yeah. Very so happy. Cool. And I got a lot. Of, I mean, I'm going to talk about the sabbatical in a, in a um, future episode, like kind of what I learned through that process. Um, but I mean, I got a lot of much needed rest that I... That I'm looking I, forward I really to that because I have this like weird feeling. I'm being serious with you guys. I have I get like a, like a guilt feeling. I should see like a therapist. If I take off work and, or if I don't work or if I cut out for a half day to play golf or something like that, the longer I take off, the more I feel this, like, uh, like I'm, like I'm doing something wrong. So here's the interesting you know I mean? thing about that. I, t- I still have that. It's never going to go away. Yeah. So Ugh. here's the interesting thing about it's that. It's called. It's it, called having a good work ethic. It goes away <laughs> after about a, a week or so, Nick. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, after a week of everything going fine, you're not getting any emergency phone calls. It goes away. So you know, I would, I would say. 
you'll be a better leader if you could put yourself in that type of a position. Because I had some breakthroughs from a leadership standpoint during the, I mean, I'm not going to say I didn't think about work the whole time. Of course I did. But I had some breakthroughs during the sabbatical that I think is going to be really beneficial for the company in the future. So oh, awesome. It was overall very Yeah, positive. I think maybe in a different year, you know, I say this every year, but like with the world being as wild as, as it is with crazy supply chain, crazy labor market, we'll talk about that today. You know, maybe in like a more normal year, if there ever will be one, then I'd be okay being gone. Well, but remember, but- I've been working for 10 years longer than you have too. So... What does that mean? I'm 10 years older than you, <laughs> right? Yeah, but what does that mean as far as vacations? No, but I mean, like, I wasn't able to take that sabbatical until now, you know what I mean? So, like, you know, just start thinking about it and planning it, and you'll, I'll kind of talk about some of the, um, uh, what I learned from it. When we're on our 2000th episode in 10 years, we can talk about this. Yeah, there you go. But one thing we do in every episode is we do some manufacturing news, we and, do. I, and I picked some out, uh, you know, according to the theme From of the Forbes, episode. From Forbes, it looks like. Yeah, Forbes. So Andrew Hunter, he's a Forbes council member. I'm actually a Forbes council member too. Yeah, I know that. They're going to kick you out of the council though. So he's a council for the HR council, Human Resources Council, and he wrote an article, the US labor market isn't adding up and this is why. The recent jobs report figures mask an out-of-kilter labor market. We're seeing simultaneously high job openings and low hiring. Millions of Americans are quitting their jobs, and not all of them are re-entering the labor market. And unemployment remains inflated. Though the headlines read as though the labor market is healthy, we're going through a sharp period of transformation, and many of the numbers are not adding up. And some of them even appear contradictory. In the 15 years that I've been monitoring the jobs market, it's one of the most paradoxical sets of stats I've seen. So that's like how this article yeah, starts. Yeah, does that have to do with a lot of the benefits that the um, government, both federal and state, is offering to people that are unemployed? You got to think so, right? I mean, there's incentive not to work. Right. I've talked well, about just, this before. Well, they just stopped as of Monday. Yeah. It's September now. So we've been like, okay, it's September. Yeah, you know? Labor Day is a good day to stop that. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Or a so week after, yeah. Here's kind of like the the subheadings. So, number 1, subdued employment. So, what does that what does subdued employment mean? Despite the recent jump in employment, 8.7 million Americans remain unemployed in July according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. To put this into perspective, in February 2020, before the pandemic, 5.7 million Americans were unemployed. Further, 3.4 million people are on long-term unemployment, 2.3 million more than in February 2020. And long-term unemployment now accounts for a substantial portion of total unemployment, like 40% of it. Wow. So a lot of people just aren't working for a very long time. Employment is moving in the right direction, however. In particular, July saw increases in leisure and hospitality employment. Right. Well, that's all coming back. Which right? is good for like the other family business. My in-laws have a restaurant, and right. they're having a really hard time finding people. So leisure and hospitality employment. The next heading is record job openings. Perhaps counterintuitively, giving elevated unemployment the number of job opportunities on offer is high and rising. U.S. job openings reached a record-breaking 10.1 million at the end of June with 590,000 more job openings than the month before. So you've got rising unemployment and all these job openings. Low hiring. The reason for this mismatch is that hiring isn't keeping pace with job growth. The BLS data shows June saw 6.7 million hires, but that remains 3.4 million short of the number needed to fill open roles. Talk to any manufacturing leader. 
what do they tell you? I can't find machinists. I can't find people to work at my company. It's not just machinists, but that's probably it's, the it's biggest It's bad all over. But yes, manufacturing is struggling. Well, maybe I can do my part to help in that. Um, because if they don't need me at Zenger's, like if somebody wants to offer me a job, I mean, like here I am. J- Jason know. is very employable. Just look yes. at his LinkedIn. You can hear him on the podcast. A lot of great, great attributes. I appreciate it. Can you put that testimonial in writing on LinkedIn? For I'm, me? I will. Yeah, I'll do Thank like you. a endorsement. Thank you. So here's the other one. High quits. This is wild, right? So quits are the final measure of note. The great resignation. That's what they call it. Yeah, it, we keep hearing about yeah the great resignation. I, I've not heard about this. Enlighten me. So... We've talked about it a little bit. So the great resignation with 3.9 million people quitting their job in June is up by 239,000. It is likely that this is partly the response to the glut of job opportunities on offer with workers increasingly confident in their ability to find new and better jobs. Others are leaving and taking a career break due to burnout, job dissatisfaction, relocation, or simply in search of a better work-life When they're resigning... Are they going to another industry or yes another and no. career? Yes and no. They're, they're taking they're a doing break. Both. So a lot of them are taking. So there's a couple factors here. There's millennials who are say changing jobs. You know they're getting um, a job offer that they want to go after, and then there's also families where there was maybe two working parents who decided through the pandemic, I don't want to go back into the office. And they're figuring out a way to make things work with, you know, one income or maybe one and a half incomes. So there's a lot of things at play, which is why it's all kind of culminating into what they're calling this great resignation. And and to your point, like on Monday, so this will probably post a week after the September kind of they they ended the double unemployment, right? Mm-hmm. So the incentive to stay home and not work should decrease. Right. Right. That they say that's going away. There's Yeah, that'll sl- go away. They're but- very slowly pulling back on but benefits. But it's still a hot job market, which is why, and you have like a lot of millennials who don't have as much of an incentive to stay with the same company. At least in their heads, they they don't think that. Yeah, there's a lot of switching with right. my generation and, and younger. But I think that that's also contributing to this, um, I guess what you would call it, kind of conflict in the numbers because there's companies that are like look at a resume of somebody like that and they're like okay you've had five jobs in the last six years i don't think i want to hire you right exactly, exactly. When, when i see that on a resume oh, yeah. it's, a red, it's, it's a, a major it's red a flag. red flag yeah. for sure like i'll hire that person maybe for an entry-level position and and try them out if right. i think that they're great right um but but if hire they're somebody ju- for if leadership they're, no if way. they're jumping from job to job no. to job every one to six Six months to one year. Oh, yeah. A red flag Forget about for it. sure. Forget yeah, about it. Yeah, it, it's tough. So the key takeaway from the article. So the economy is recovering. Jobs are being created, but worker confidence isn't returning at the same pace. A rebalancing may, may be just around the corner. Our data suggests job seekers are starting to come back, and autumn 2021 may bring the correction needed to rebalance the market. In the meantime, improvements to pay and benefits and potentially the elimination of some of the more monotonous jobs with the help of technology should mean job seekers return to more fulfilling and better paying jobs. Hiring is likely going to be tough in the short term, but I believe the outlook for a few months down the line is optimistic. So the reason why I picked this topic for today is... I I, I would imagine we're going to talk about the labor shortage. Yeah, I mean, and I'm doing so much recruiting, like not necessarily machining positions because I'm in sales and marketing, but for regional sales and applications positions for my team. 
So the episode is about what do we do in this crazy labor market? I think it's very upside down right now. I think that the, the world is just, you know, kind of like flipped on its head in the last couple of years post pandemic or during the pandemic. And now we're going back into a, a, you know, a new surge and it's been nuts, but I've never seen it quite like this before. I think that you had to be really strategic in your recruiting efforts to find and attract new talent and retain too. Well, I was just going to say that, Jim, what I think is even more important than the hiring conversation is, is the retention, retention conversation. Yeah, I mean, right. I think that that's huge. And I think you have to put a lot of thought into, I need to make sure that I keep my rock stars. And maybe right. you even need to keep your people that are not rock stars and either- Because they're accept, a warm body. Because they're a warm body <laughs> and either accept them the way that they are or figure out how to turn them into rock stars. So I have a story. I was talking with a um, with a client of mine who both of you know, and he was telling me a story, and I'm not going to get into the, the real details because I don't think he would want me to on the show, but um, the crux of the situation was is that he had a key person who was doing some things that from a HR standpoint, a legal standpoint, a lot of these kind of things- he should be fired. Yeah, you know what I right. mean? And um but he can't afford to like lose a person, especially somebody that can get a job done, you know, right away. So he took a risk and he was, you know, he he felt from an ethical standpoint, I have to fire this person because I have to put that before the need I have to hire people, which I give him a lot of credit. Right. For, yeah. That's for, a tough decision. That. And I know I'm being really vague here, but um, you know, there's a, there's a reason for that because he, he told me this in confidence, but um, he basically sat down with this, with this person. He said, look, you either fix this right now or you're fired. So you need to decide right now, whether you're going to be working here tomorrow. And guess what? The person fixed it. Not only did he fix it in order to save his employment, but the thing that he fixed actually turned his whole life around on a personal level. And now he's like, he's like rocking it. You know? Yeah, and, that's and, and awesome. So, like, yeah. He just took the risk and he sat him down. He said, you have to do this. We're done talking about it. You're not going to be back here tomorrow unless you make this commitment to me that this is over. I mean, it gives me goosebumps because like the guy like just turned his whole life around because of it. I think that's an anomaly, quite frankly. It could be. You know what, Jim? It could be an anomaly. But like if you're in a situation where you're able to take that risk with somebody that you're otherwise like looking to fire, that might be that last conversation that you have with them. It could be something as simple as the person's coming in late and you have a policy about them coming in late and you sit down with them and say, look, I can't afford to let somebody go. So I don't want to fire you, but I have to fire you because this is our stance. So either we change the stance or you're gone. And the situation I'm talking about is way more complex than somebody showing in sure, late. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. But maybe that's just a conversation you have to have with somebody. Right. And the leverage, I think too, like, employer employee like the leverage is changing and i think the employees are aware of their value more and more and and in this market that we're in it's like okay we need to be aware of their value right and we need to pay them accordingly so you know what's going to be funny though when we go into the next recession and all these people that are jumping ship for uh, a little extra money at the guy down the street, and then they're going to be low guy on the totem pole, and they're probably not as skilled, or they probably aren't as rock, big a rock stars as they think they are, and guess what's going to happen? They're going to get laid off Yeah. once they make that move. So, so they, they, you know, I'm, I'm not defending their decisions, but they need to be very cautious about the moves that they make. And making Absolutely. sure they don't burn any bridges. 
Metalworking Nation. You probably know Zometry as a digital platform where you can get custom manufacturing on demand with instant quotes. But let me tell you about something new. Now you can source high volume projects directly from Zometry suppliers. Do you have a higher volume CNC sheet, die casting, or metal printing project? Do you need to get multiple quotes from different vendors and you have time to wait to get them? Now you can get many quotes directly from the Zometry network suppliers. You have total control. You name your target price, your target lead time, and you directly communicate with suppliers to get the best deal. This is a new way to source bigger jobs different from instant quoting. You can upload your 2D or 3D files. So it's more than just instant quoting from Zometry. You can source high volume projects directly from the Zometry suppliers. Check it out at Zometry.com. That's X-O-M-E-T-R-Y.com. I just got done consuming some content from somebody in our industry. Did it taste good? It was great. It was delicious. I'm full. I'm very full from the content. Was it Tex-Mex? Yes, actually. Okay. It was. It had a little text to it. So when you are thinking about the person who is addressing labor challenges in our industry, is there a is there a figure that comes? Yeah, to I know mind? our good friend Titan. Yeah, Titan. So, so I was talking texting with him. We get, we gave him a piece of cast iron so we could do one of his kind of metal drilling demonstrations, mm-hmm. and uh, so he was like, "Hey, thanks for that. You know, I'm going to plug your company, whatever." And uh, our conversation continued and I was like, Hey, my episode today is going to be about the labor market. I I know you have a lot of thoughts on that. And he's like, yeah, he he sends me two links to two of his videos. One, he goes, this is one that holds machinists accountable. And this is one that holds companies accountable. And his point in those videos was basically like, and Jim, I know you, I know you can speak to this because you run a machine shop like he does. The value of a master machinist, someone who can program, run jobs, hear, push tools to Jason's like world, maximize productivity, lift up everyone around them, be, be kind of going machine to machine and making sure everything is running. He, he thinks, and, and I tend to agree, that that should be one of the highest paid people in a company. Of course. I agree. And, and one of the things that he said was, what happens is those rock stars they move to like a manufacturing engineering position because they want to get paid more when really the best thing for the company would be to like continue to promote a master machinist and just elevate him because your shop floor is where all the money's made. Well, or you have make sure that your, your leaders have their time on the shop floor. Like I know a lot of say like operations manager, COO level, or what you would call like an integrator. Um, somebody like Ryan at your shop, they have that machinist experience and they've been able to move into that leadership position so they can go out on the shop floor and be able to motivate the team. They The team can't throw any kind of like, for lack of a better word, BS their way about why they're not getting the job done on time. They can coach them through challenges that they're having. And that should be one of the, that should be a very valued person on the team. I mean, one of our good clients, I mean, he just hired a new operations manager and he's like, it's just really transforming the company. And, you know, he's, thinking that, you know, the two family members are the visionary and integrator, but he's thinking like, you know, we want to make this person the integrator eventually um, because he's doing that great of a job and he's got that experience out on the shop floor. Yeah, yeah. So I don't want to steal the thunder because Titan invited us to come out to Texas and record with him and get his perspective on this. But I think um, 
I think that that episode on the value of a master yeah, machine that's a great would, conversation would be awesome. So stay tuned, listeners, because we're going to be doing that. In hey, the I've next got an idea, months. Nick. Yeah. Um, how about when we go out to Texas? I'd love to interview some other manufacturing leaders in that area. So if somebody, yeah, so if somebody from the Metalworking Nation, if you're listening to this and you've got a great story to tell, that would be that would equip and inspire you know, the metalworking nation, please reach out to us. Just email us and um, let us know who you are and where you're located relative to the Texas area. And we'd love to have you on the show. Yeah. You have to be from the great country of Texas though. No, it's the (laughs) Republic of Texas. Okay. Gotcha. There we go. All right. So as I mentioned earlier, like recruiting now, not for machining positions, but recruiting for regional sales director positions, recruiting reps that are working independently. That's been a huge, huge focus of mine since, you know, I talked about like restructuring sales. And so I'm well, learning you, some you things. You are restructuring about it. sales. Yeah, we're in the process, you know, right. and, that, and I don't want to just like hire the first warm body for a key position. So. That's what's been holding me back a lot, Nick, too. Because, yeah, like I mean, you got to get the right yeah, person. Yeah, exactly. And so it's really tough, but, but I'm learning a lot through the process and I want to just share some of the things that I'm learning. And before I do that, I want to say, like, I don't have all the answers. I, this is hard, okay, especially in this labor market. So, but there's some things that, that I'm learning that I wanted to share. I also want to say it's not always super easy, too. So, like, you probably all heard this hire slow, fire fast thing, right? I have heard of that before, yes. The problem with that, well, so I, first off, I agree with that. Well, it's a different, it's a different market right now. <laughs> right. So, you got to be careful. So, can't Jim's really- got a hot job on whatever your, your new Doosan machine or whatever, and you, and your machinist quits. Okay. So, you can't really hire slow. When you got, and this is just hypothetical, You've got but you got pro- one guy who can run that machine. You got to get the job out of the door. You got production problems. It's funny because like a lot of these things, these like little quips, you know, hire slow, fire fast. I feel like a lot of these, you, you know, it, it's great for like a technology company, but I feel like in a, in an environment like manufacturing, it's just not applicable. You know what I mean? Well, and I, I think that's I would it, be very careful about hiring a machinist quickly. Well, I, I'm not saying that you need to, but like, you know, there's a lot of companies that are like, oh, you need to take six months to hire somebody. Oh, God, you know, it's no. like, well, come on. We don't, you know, we don't operate that way. You know, we've got, like Nick said, we've got a machine man down, machine down. You know what I mean? Like we need Mayday, mayday, mayday. mayday. You can't tell your You know what? We're, we're hiring slow. Right. Okay. So just wait for your parts. Yeah. Um, right. Just wait for your, yeah, exactly. But, you know, one yeah, thing that try and tell that to your customer, you know, the three of us, we've learned just from making hires at making chips, which is kind of a manufacturing company, but not really. And, and we w- were like, you know, we should have hired slower. We should have really got to know them. So we're you're still... A little, you're a little impulsive sometimes, Nick. Yeah, it can be that way. <laughs> I can too, so I can... Yeah, it's like, <laughs> look who's talking. But one thing that we're doing right now as as we're recruiting for a key position is we're finding a way to date before we get married. We're finding a way to like work with the person before you just make a full-time commitment to hire them. And And I think my question would be, it's not applicable for all positions, but if there's a way to kind of like test out the working relationship where you're getting the productivity that you need, but you haven't made that full commitment yet. And they maybe they don't know like that they're ready to commit their career to yeah, you. Yeah, so let me talk about that. So making chips, we're obviously, we're a podcast, but we're also, um, now we're a marketing agency and we have some open positions there. And we currently have somebody that we've brought on as like a contractor who's going to do some jobs for us and work on some projects and stuff like that. And we're kind of dating each other before we make a full-time job offer, before we make a commitment to him and before he makes a commitment to us. And I think that that same thing could be very applicable to a manufacturing environment. Jim, you just introduced a second shift. And so 
why can't someone who's working during the day for one company who wants to leave, but he's not quite sure, he's like, I don't know if I can work for Jim. You know what I mean? Like, right. You know, he he talks like, you know, he'd be a good guy to work for, but there's something about him that I just, I don't know if I could do it. And <laughs> right, so like, well, this is a good opportunity for that person to work on the second shift. Absolutely. And get to know the company and make sure that he's a good fit before he leaves. the. And, you know, yeah, you're going to give up some, some nights or maybe some weekend time or something like that. But at least both parties are making very educated decisions on what's going to happen. Well, I think that you should just hire him in that machinist in on a trial basis yeah, just and make part-time. it very clear yeah. that you're just coming in on a trial basis. You could even have a have a contract written up saying, you know, for the next 30 days you're going to work here just so it's in writing, it's mutually agreeable, it's fully transparent and both parties know that this is strictly just a trial job. Yeah. Maybe you're just working, right. you know, 15 to 20 hours right. a We're week. We're thinking of doing that with future machinists. We just, so, I just had two guys in here yesterday. They left. We're evaluating. We're still kind of on the fence. And one of my leadership teammates said, maybe we should just hire him on a trial basis and see what that looks like. Yeah. So there's two things that come to mind. So People can fib a little bit on their resume as far as what their expertise is, you know, as far as being a machinist or, well, I'm not thinking even edge. I'm not thinking of lying. What I'm thinking of is that this person really positioned themselves as an experienced machinist and then you get them in front of the machine and they don't know exactly what to do. I I can program machines when like all they did is modify conversational programs twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen it happen a dozen times. Exactly. And so then, then the second thing is... I don't, you know, we're all married guys. I mean, was your wife different when you dated versus when married? I mean, like, <laughs> yes. let's be honest. Uh, yeah. you know? yes. So, yeah. so like, you know, there's a, a little cer- bit. There's a certain, um, maybe they're going to work differently in the very beginning than what they were in the long term. And that's one of the risks when they're, you know, working for you at that point. So, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, we, we were different during dating too. Like, yeah, I yeah, probably exactly. it goes my wife ways. out more often, you know? <laughs> so anyway, so that kind of, that's a little bit of a caution as it relates to bringing that person on, on a trial basis too. It's kind of like that dating period before you, you know, bring them on full time. That could be different. But what, it's interesting that you guys are thinking about like the trial basis. Cause with marketing, it's co- super common. Everyone's freelancing, right? Everyone's yes. So there's a lot of different. It's not common it. in manufacturing. It, right. And not I was just thinking like. But it does happen. And I hear about it from other people. Maybe right. the day of the freelance machinist is coming. Well, where- no, I think it, it's, no, 100% it's coming. How big and how per- how much of a percentage of the market is it going to be is the question. Like, let's say you're just a, an awesome master machinist and you, you know, you've ran all sorts of different kinds of machines, different materials, and you can prove it, right? You can show the parts that you've made. What if you were just like a, a machinist for contracted hire? You, you, so I've got you can a, go from like company to company on 90 day contracts I've and an make a killing. I've got an example of that. So, you know, we work on um, uh, tooling continuous improvement projects with our clients and, um, some of our clients don't have a full-time experienced programmer on their staff. So for a couple of reasons, A, those those people are very expensive 
and they're few and far between at this point. So sometimes we'll present a project to a customer and we'll say, okay, this is how you're processing the part right now. This is how you should be processing the part so that you can get um, more parts per hour. And they just don't have the person on the staff that can turn that around quickly. So we've been able to connect them with that programmer who is freelancing around a lot of other manufacturing companies who can actually come in, you know, sign an NDA, all those kind of contracts that they need to, and actually make that process change a reality. Yeah. So it's definitely out there. It's not very common right now, but um, we do have some of those connections. It'll probably it become happen. more common. Oh, for sure. And and there's there's even apps out there and technology that are that's trying to make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Switching gears a little bit. Let's say let's say it's not a freelance thing. One thing that I learned that that worked really well is we we probably interviewed. It's, so it's funny. It is actually for the Texas area region. We interviewed maybe like six eight regional sales director candidates, and you know they drop off one by one until you're down to two. And we we really liked both of the guys. Like I would have hired either guy. Why don't you hire both? Um, well, because it's one region, you know, I can't, oh. I can't afford. Maybe to, you can move one of those guys to we, another we region. We brought it up, but he wasn't going to like move to, you know, New England. People don't usually oh. want to leave Texas when they're from there. Oh, okay. Yes. My wa- it was my wife wanted to go to colder environment. But most Texans want to stay in Texas. Yeah. So okay. So how do we decide? Right. I got Jason and Jim. They're both great guys. One well, of Jason. One of them gets Easy to decision. be my co-host. <laughs> so for me, what we did is we actually created like like a challenge, like an exercise, and. It's hard. You were, you brought up like okay. It's hard on LinkedIn to figure out who they really are. You know, everyone mm-hmm. can like polish up a resume. Did you ask them those those dumb sports questions? No, <laughs> no, I did not. No, um, they probably would have got the Cowboys ones right because they're yes, from Texas. But they would definitely have gotten that one. But right. um, so w- we gave like scenarios where there's not like a clear right answer, but just like okay, how would they how would they think on their feet? So yeah. one of them was like, okay, uh, you're flying to your customer. And you find out some bad news about what you're going there for an hour before your flight takes off. How do you handle it? What do you do? And say the ca- question again. So, so, like for example, maybe the parts, the 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 parts that the customer thought they were going to be getting are going to be delayed another four weeks. Yeah, something like that. Some bad news, right? So you're you're, you're about to get on a flight, and um, and you've got 60 seconds before you get on and close your phone up to tell your the person that's your operations person, what to do. So that was how one guy answered it. The other guy answered it like really practically, like what he would actually do. And he's yeah, but like, you can't, you can't in 60 seconds, you can't figure it out. Right. But he gave himself more than 60 seconds, which okay. is why he ended up getting hired. He He's like, well, what I would do is I would see when the next flight is and see if that gives me enough time to like get the answer and, and get all the details required to solve the problem. And just let my customer know, like, hey, something something's going on with my flight. I have to move it. And there you go. Like, so I was like, oh, that's that was well, cr- that was pretty was clever. That, well, no, I just just I, basically, I have to move my flight, right? Okay. But you don't have to tell him why. Yeah. Um, just to give himself some time to make sure he doesn't go in there unprepared. And I was like, well, that's actually like thinking on your feet, you know, being really practical. Instead of thinking, I only have an hour, he's like, well, I can give myself more than an hour. And and so the guy was thinking like, all right, well, travel is a big part of the job. And I and I was like, yeah, I really like that hmm. answer. Because honestly, that's probably what he should have done. So your suggestion is just put 
the person through some kind of role. Yeah, thanks for getting me back to the point. But like, if you got two that are neck and neck, like actually see who's going to rise to the challenge. The other thing is the guy who ended up getting hired told me he he really thought about the questions. He probably put like eight hours into just how he's going to answer. There was like 30 30 good ones. And he wanted the job. Wow. And I think the other guy probably did it in an hour and didn't think as thoroughly. And so it's like, all right, well, this this guy, you know, really went the extra mile. Is that what tipped off the other guy to you just because? Yeah, that's what made one of them rise to the top. You I'm know, surprised that somebody would spend that much time to I am work too. for you. But they ob- <laughs> they obviously really wanted the job, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they were being proactive. Well, and this particular guy was actually not employed at the time. So most of the people I hire are employed, which kind of brings me into my next tip. Poaching. Well, yeah, well, yeah, you call it poaching or you call it recruiting or headhunting, but most of the, the positions that I hire for are positions where you want to hire someone who who's employed. They're High That's level. what they say the rock stars are already working. Yeah, exactly. And they're like, not looking for a job a lot of times, too. Usually people who aren't employed aren't employed for a reason, and a lot of those reasons are because they're not a rock star. So, you know, when you're hiring for a, a commercial leadership position, a sales you know, leadership position, which is what I'm hiring for, this person's probably going to have a job, and they probably make really good money. So how do you hire... Or how do you recruit people that work for other companies? That's not super easy. You, you guys have any ideas? No. I think one of the first how does a LinkedIn? Do I it? would say I would say LinkedIn. Yeah, is, I was going to say. Well, I think one of the first things that you need to do is just slowly start developing a relationship with the person. Sure. Yeah, you can go to your network. Yeah, but how but, do you know you're even going to be in contact, or you're going to touch a person that you're going to be potentially? Well, there, I mean, there's casual ways to do it, like over LinkedIn, for example, like just oh, you know, well, that, you know, yeah. communicating with them, commenting on their posts, you know, sending them valuable information, you know, telling them about yourself, like doing all things in like a non kind of like salesy or um, recruiter way mm-hmm. right so about recruiters though there's the method to their madness and you guys are right linkedin is where you would go that's that's kind of where jobs are sought and and where people you know present themselves to get hired or to get a better job right well there's something on your linkedin profile it's a switch that only the the user who has the profile sees and it's you could switch it like I'm open to hearing about positions. Oh, yeah. So your employer doesn't see that, but anyone who's got a LinkedIn recruiter account can see it. Yeah, I've got that open because I was I put that I'm open to like board level. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Positions, and so now I've got that on there. Yeah, the recruiter seat for LinkedIn is thousands of dollars. Seriously, like I think it's like thirty grand. What? I'm not. I'm not kidding. But when you compare that to what it costs to hire a headhunting firm for an executive level position, one time, right? Yeah, like you hire someone, they you you have to pay that firm like a third of that person's salary, so that's like thirty grand, right? What are you getting for that? So I don't know all the details. I'm not here to like, yeah. And this is this isn't a podcast about LinkedIn recruiting. Yeah, LinkedIn should be paying us for this advertising, right? Right, but but just but it's pretty nifty, right? And so we, I, I don't pay thirty grand for nifty though. No, listen, listen. So you're. You're hearing how the recruiters do the headhunting for you if you hire the recruiter, and you could just buy the product yourself as a company and learn it. There's YouTube tutorials. You actually get a person from LinkedIn who teaches you, and then you can like do it yourself. Because you're saying that recruiters exclusively use this tool. And I, I wouldn't say exclusively, but this is the this is the main thing. So okay. we heard this from a recruiter that's kind of in our network. So you can you can buy this recruiting module for your own yeah you can you can diy this process instead of like going through a third party and i think especially in in 
technical engineering, applications-oriented, machining, metalworking-type industries, the difference between words and stuff like you know what you're looking for you know what i mean that or you want more of a technical recruiter who's familiar with manufacturing which a lot of those people are out there sure but i'm just saying you think there are oh i know yeah because i know some okay Yeah. yeah they're they're out there I'm just saying the opportunity to do it yourself is available for the companies that want to do it. If you're a large enough company, I would and say we are one of the companies that yeah. want to yeah, do you, it, and you, we are. I, I told you the number. I'm happy with it. Yeah, I, I think there's ROI. So nice. So that's just I something mean, really I've practical. Talk, I've yeah. talked to some other manufacturing leaders who have paid recruiting firms and gotten rock stars from their team, and they charge you know, 25% a lot of time of the person's first year salary. And they're like, I was happy to pay that because this person's making me way more money than, you know, $20,000, $25,000 that I paid. And I don't really like do all the searching. I don't use the tool. I just, um, the the candidates that are brought to me, right, for the initial interview, like I get get a pool, I pick through them. I like them. Like these are, this is the right fit. It's really hard to find the right fit. It really and is so and then and then a lot of them actually want to do the interview and so so it's been a good process because prior to this we were always kind of like handcuffed like how do we solve this problem you know what I mean yeah, so where do we start and then you do nothing exactly yeah. right so that kind of concludes my tips really this is a timely yeah, and a good conversation. conversation I would say that like just the process of consistently recruiting it really helps me to understand my value proposition as an employer like. You Have find you, out what where they're at, what, what they're getting paid, what their life is like, what their benefits are like, and then you compare it to your job, the job that you're offering, and you got it. It really causes you to think, like, you know, it's, it's like a customer. You know, how are they going to buy what I'm selling? And so, um, I've learned a lot from the process. And just as a shameless plug, both. All three of us, Nick, Jason, and Jim, are all hiring. So, <laughs> yeah, yes. If you, if you are interested, <laughs> please reach out to us. Yeah, and and since you're plugging, so uh, Northeast, uh, Southeast, or Michigan, if you're in any of those regions, Northeast, yeah. So like Boston, yeah, New like York, a group, like a chunk of states up there, yeah, a chunk of states in the Southeast, like probably Charlotte would be a good place to live for that uh, one, and then Michigan. That, and, that, and, that, and that's I'm, where I'm looking. And I'm recruiting for Northern Indiana and Northern Illinois for and, a sales and position. Work, work from home. Just other various positions. Sure. And Jim, what are you looking for? CNC man? machinist. Yeah, you and everybody else. Yeah. Oh, but man. I'm probably going to hire somebody that soon. Well, you so. got a nice little value proposition yeah. here. This isn't like every shop. So. Yeah. Hey, Jason, you know manufacturing is just booming right now, and we are all struggling to find machinists. Part of the immediate solution is to be more strategic in our machine production. This is where Amper Technologies monitoring system really helps us out. It identifies trouble areas on the shop floor by giving us real-time insight of the chip making of each machine. In just a few short weeks, we've got metrics to start mitigating that downtime, and that's smart manufacturing. Check out Amper at amper.xyz. Anyway, the point is, guys, like, hopefully some of these tips help you, you know? Yeah, I have um, one more question for you, Nick. Go ahead. Is this the first time that you've ever had to do a deep dive into recruiting in your career, in your in Yeah, your it was always career? somebody else's problem until yeah. I got this position I'm in yeah. now, and now it's my problem. Yeah, like, so I have a little empathy for you. Yeah, so. it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. So, especially for the positions I'm recruiting for, they're, like I said, these people are already employed, so it's... 
but you know, I'm learning a lot from the process and we're getting some good candidates in and we've made one really great hire already. So, so at the end of the day, guys, if you can't staff your company, you won't be making chips. And if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Bam. As always, thank you for listening to the making chips podcast. You need to increase the speed and feet of your business. If you're not elevating your manufacturing leadership, you're going to get left behind. The metalworking nation is committed to a new way to stay ahead of the competition. We have more content to help you make and elevate at makingchips.com. Gain access to exclusive content, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you. We'll see you next time.